All right, let's start. So uh, my name's Dave. For those of you who have no idea who I am, I'm Dave Shepherd. I uh, lead our Verdun campus over at Hills Christian School. Um, I've been doing that for a bit over four years. I was a teacher prior to that at Concordia College, Concordia Represent Boys. Uh, great school. God's doing great things. Another uh, thing about me is I am uh, involved in a part of a ministry which is called Ignite Ministries, which some of you might know about. And fundamentally, I'm just, I just really love Jesus, right? Like I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about the gospel and I'm passionate about worshipping this great God of ours. And um, it's a joy to be able to come here. I very, I very rarely get to Allgate these days, except on a Tuesday when I'm in the office for meetings. Um, so it's awesome to be able to come and preach and share God's word. Um, Nick just said to me, he's like, just preach what you preach in the morning. But then I got to about three o'clock this afternoon and I just felt like God was saying, you can't do it. I don't want you to preach what you preach this morning. And uh, he's laid a different word on my heart, which I'm excited about. And I believe God uh, is going to just minister to our, our souls today. Because today's Father's Day. It's Father's Day, yeah. And... Uh, and I'm not going to ask you to put a hand up, but I know that some of you, when we think of Father's Day, you're like, awesome, I've had the best lunch, I've had the greatest time hanging out with my family, life's good, it's all swell. But I also know that there's people in this room who, when you think about Father's Day, you just endure it. Uh, because Father's Day has not been a celebration for you, it has been a difficulty for you. And maybe that's because you're lamenting actually a loss of a father, or maybe that's just because you... Uh, have an earthly father who's nothing like he should have been um, as a representation of your heavenly father and so I just want to acknowledge that as we start but we do have a heavenly father we have an amazing heavenly father God who all through scripture is is revealed to his people as father and uh, and he is for us and he loves us and if you want to listen to this morning's message jump on the hood on stream because we talk a bit about that but this, morning, this evening, I really felt like God just put on my heart to preach from the Father's heart and have a look at what is this Father, what is God's heart for his people through the lens of his son? Because I don't know if anyone in here, well, some of you have kids, I can see, but I've got three young kids. I've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a six-year-old, boy, girl, boy, Bailey, Mabel, Benji, and they're great fun. Um, but they can be difficult, hard work on occasion as well. And one of the things that I have, uh, I had a real revelation of this the other day, to my shame, it was a bit um, embarrassing really, is because I'm trying to discipline these kids and I'm getting frustrated with them about the fact that they're constantly mucking around when they shouldn't be. And I realised in this moment that, that I'm just yelling at them to get them to stop yelling. Right? And I had this sort of revelation this moment. There's, there's days where I feel like I'm nailing this dad thing and doing a fantastic job of it. And then you have so many days where you just realise you're just a wretch and not doing a great job at all because these little humans are just sponges. And they just, they, it, they just absorb everything you do and everything you say. And I realise it's like when you look at their lives, really what you're doing is you're holding up a mirror and you're, you're seeing yourself in them. And sometimes the image you see is not that great and so we come to this place we're like oh god just relying on god and and just crying out and saying god help me to be 
the man that you're calling me to be. Help me be a father that's actually worth following. But the promise of God is that Christ is the mirror to the heavenly father. And what we see in Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. What we see in Christ is perfection. We see a loving, pure, attentive, ever-present help in time of need. We see a, a, a father who comes to his children. And so we have a father and it's a father worth celebrating. And so we're going to have a look at the father's heart for his people today. Um, and I'm going to begin with a little gift because we have, we have, this, um, we have this gift that has been given to us. Right? And I want you to imagine that this is a gift from God. And I want you to imagine for a moment that the card from the gift from God says, this is real love. This is real love. What's in here is real love. But it's a gift to all of us. But we only have one in practicality. So what we're going to do is play a little game just to get us going. And someone's going to get the actual gift. And then you're going to be able to reveal that to everyone. So stand to your feet. We're going to play a little game. I don't know if you've played this before. It's called Sit Down If. Anyone played that before? Who had fun last night, by the way? Any of you go to the masquerade ball? You had a good time? Brilliant. Glad that you did. Uh, Well done. Um, Sidetrack, sorry. So Sit Down If. The way it works is the last person standing wins. I'm going to say Sit Down If dot, dot, dot. And if it applies to you, you sit down, last person standing wins. Cool. Okay, sit down if you have ever owned a pet rabbit. What's with rabbits in the Adelaide Hills? So many people have owned a rabbit. That's amazing. That's like 50% of you have owned a pet rabbit. This game's going quickly. Uh, Sit down if you have ever ridden a motorbike. Oh, gosh, we're eliminating people quickly. Sit down if you send... A, past, a, a photo to your pastor of your father sleeping during one of his online sermons. <laughs> uh, Mike LeMay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sit down if you occasionally pick your nose when no one is looking. <laughs> Sit down if you just do it when people are looking. <laughs> okay, what do we got left? Uh, sit down if you've ever posted a picture of your food on Instagram. No, we've still got three. Sit down if you like glamping over camping. Oh, and then there were two. Sit down if you have never had stitches. Sit down if you have broken a bone before. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, you can both win. Come forward. Let them both. Let's give them a round of applause. Mitchy and Nick, legends. Come on, come on down here. You can open this present for everyone. Now, remember this present said, this is real love. All right, this is real love. So what's in here is real love. Have a look at it. Yeah, open that up and just let us know what's going on here. What have we oh, got? Bad boy. <laughs> it looks like a um, male care kit, sort of like that. Like, was it? A pair of socks. A pair of socks. Deodorant. Deodorant. Every male needs that. Yep. 
Antibacterial wipes. Anti very important in a COVID safe world. Amen. And I call shotgun for these, so. <laughs> and a nice pair of jocks. Fantastic. Give them a round of applause. That's great. Now, the question is, why would God, why would God give us a gift that's as practical as that? Why would this, this great God who has all the capacity to give out of complete abundance and give whatever we wanted, you know, he could have given a Rolex watch, he could have given, he could have given anything right there, and yet he gives something so practical. And I want to suggest to us tonight, as we begin to look at the Father's heart, is that real love actually has not a whole lot to do with the things that we want, but it has everything to do with what he knows we need. Because God is the God who knows us intimately, and he will, he will in his love, impart not always what we want, but always what we need. And I want you to understand that actually the greatest gift of God is not necessarily that something that's sexy. It's not necessarily something that we, you know, that the world looks at and says, wow, that's amazing. In fact, the greatest gift of God, the Bible will tell us, actually appears as, as if it is foolishness and yet is precisely what we need. And we're going to have a look at this. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to actually turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And as we go to Luke 15, we're going to look at a familiar old friend that many of you, if you've been around church for a while, you, have, you would know this story. Uh, and the story is titled The Prodigal Son. Hands up in this place if you have heard the story of the prodigal son before. My prayer tonight as we examine this is actually that you will see it. When we hit the end of this, you will see it in a way that you've never seen it before. And God's going to reveal something brand new to us as we examine this passage. Um, if it's okay with you, I want to teach the Bible for a little bit tonight. Is that all right? Good. So if you've grown up in church, you know this story. As we come to Luke 15, particularly focusing from about verse 11 onwards, you know the story. The story is that there is a father who has a great inheritance, he has a great estate, and he has a couple of sons. And uh, the story, often people, when they talk about this, will focus on the first son, and they'll talk about this son who looked at his father, desired his inheritance now, and he went to that father and he said, Give me my share of the estate. Give me what I want. And the father says, have it. And so basically what this son is doing is saying, I wish you were dead now so I could have my inheritance and go and do whatever the heck I want to do with it. And so the father, for whatever reason, the wisdom of this parable, he actually allows the son to have half of everything. And the son goes off and what does he do? He squanders it on worldly living, it says. It's like he parties, he does drugs, he sleeps around, he just does whatever the heck he wants. But the interesting thing is, is that towards the end of his time, all of his friends are gone. And, you know, all his money's gone. Everything that he thought was going to bring him happiness has actually left him feeling extremely empty, has actually left him feeling anything but free. And he finds himself in a pig pen, which is detestable to Jewish people eating the pods of the pigs to stay alive, and he has a moment of revelation. And in that moment, he remembers his father, and it says that he turned, and he said, if only 
you know, if only I could be treated like one of my father's servants. And so he, then he goes to return to the father. And the great part of the story is that the father hitches up his robe. One of the great images where he, he disgraces himself and runs towards his son. He embraces his son and he puts the ring on his finger and the robe around his back. And he puts the sandals of freedom on his feet. And he basically says, you are a son. And he brings him home. But what we often forget to talk about is the last seven verses where actually it talks about another brother. And the other thing we often forget to talk about is the fact that this was actually never supposed to be read in isolation. When Luke wrote this, he didn't write it so that the hearers of this in this context would pick out a tiny little bit of the story and just focus on that one little bit. No, he actually was telling a story that begins at the beginning of chapter 15. And so if we want to understand what he is telling us, what Jesus is telling us in this parable, we have to go to the beginning of chapter 15, look at the entirety of that chapter and everything that he's pulling out, and then something, we're going to catch a revelation of what God, what, what Christ is trying to tell us about the Father's heart. You with me? So we're going to go to the beginning because at the beginning of chapter 15, it sets the context. Beginning of chapter 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So where are we at? What's happening here? You have Jesus and you have two groups of people with whom he is engaging. You have tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors is like the most despised people group. They are traitors. They are rotten human beings. And sinners, which is just a broad term for basically people who weren't religious. So you've got this group of people. Jesus is hanging out with them. He's dining with them. He's spending time with them. He's doing life with them. And then you've got this other group of people, which is the religious folk, the Pharisees. And they're watching Jesus and they're watching him with these people sinners and they're you know they're just through baited breath thinking what an idiot like who the hell does he think he is what is he doing this is a disgraceful thing for a prophet to do this is a disgraceful thing for a rabbi to do to spend time with sinners because in this culture the way they perceive this is that Jesus is actually he's saying it's okay for this lifestyle. They're saying he's commending that lifestyle by spending time with them. That's how they perceived it. And Jesus is in the middle of this crazy moment with these people and these people and him at the centre of hatred and confusion and all sorts of stuff going on. And this is the precise moment that Jesus like, now let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about why I have come. And here's what it does. He tells three simple stories. The first story he tells is the story of a lost sheep. And he tells this this story about the fact that there was 100 sheep and 99 were where they were supposed to be. They were home and they were happy and they were doing their thing. But there was one that had wandered far off and gone completely astray. And he says, is it not... The shepherd, would not the shepherd, would not a loving father, would not 
the God of all creation, who made those sheep, would he not seek after them and try and find them? Even if, it's, even if it means leaving the 99 to chase after the one, is that sheep not worth pursuing? And again, speaking into this culture, an agricultural culture, they're like, yeah, yeah, it is worth pursuing. So he's, he's highlighting something about the nature of the father heart of God, that God would go after the one. And then he tells a second parable. And it's a story about a lost coin. And this story is about this woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. And it says that she sweeps her house desperately seeking to find this coin. And when she finds it, she throws a celebration and people come. Now, this seems strange to us. Are you with me? Like, I lost two bucks the other day. I'm not sweeping the house for that. I'm not. I'm just getting on with it. I'm like, you know what? I'm sure I'll probably find two bucks somewhere in the corner of the seat another time. But you've got to understand what's going on here. These 10 silver coins, this is, this, in this context, is, is most likely actually a wedding dowry. When a, when a husband and a wife got married, they, they had these 10 coins that she would wear on her head and it spoke about faithfulness and covenant and commitment. And actually, if one of those coins disappeared, it was a symbol of infidelity. And so for her to actually lose a coin is for her to lose everything. It's for her to recognize that even though she's in the house with her husband, without that coin, without that coin, she is no longer in that covenant relationship with that husband. This is huge for her. And so what does she do? She seeks, like, with all her might, trying to find this coin because it's so important that she's in covenant relationship with her husband. And then he tells a third story, and he tells the story that we just looked at, the parable of the lost son, where there's the son who runs off and there's the son who stays. It's a, it's a story of two sons and a father. And here's what I want you to catch. In the midst of all of this, God is doing something. Christ is telling us something. Jesus is speaking a really interesting, powerful word. He wants you to see that when you look at this together, the sons are linked to the first two stories. You see, the lost sheep, the lost sheep is the first son. The lost sheep is the first son. They are, it is the one who is far astray. The one who has just run off, the one who is no longer in the house, the one who has forsaken God completely, has rejected God and all of his ways and all of his promises and has chased after the self, has chased after the things of this world. That's the sheep and the lost son. Are you with me? So we see these two and they're one and the same. It's the same story. One is highlighting the other. And then the lost coin is the second son. Because the lost coin is where? It's still in the house. It's still in the house of the husband. It's still there. And yet Jesus is saying it's lost. And it's revealing something about the nature of the second son who was obedient in all the religiosity that the father had asked him to be obedient towards. He still went about his father's work. He was still doing things, but his heart was far from the heart of the father. Even though he was in the house, like the second coin, he was lost. And what Jesus wants us to see is that the Pharisee and the sinner 
are one and the same. They are both lost. One is doing the religious stuff. One can quote scripture. One can pray. One can go about doing things. But if your heart, if their heart was not towards the Father's heart and not joined with the Father's heart, then they were lost, as lost as these people over here, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. They were just as lost. And Jesus is standing in the middle and he's saying, don't you see, Pharisees? Don't you see the Father's heart? Don't you understand that actually the only way to be found is in me right here, right now? I've come for both of you. Don't you recognize that your religion can't save you? It's amazing. Chapter 15 is amazing. It's all one and the same conversation. And I don't want to preach for too long tonight, but here's what I want to suggest to us. I actually want to suggest that in the church, I think there's a lot of people who have grown up religious. There's a lot of people whose parents have taken them to church. You've been to Sunday school. You can quote Bible verses. You can sing songs. You can say prayers. You even, you know, you can talk about Jesus. But the question is, where is your heart? I have a one-point sermon tonight. Where is your heart? Because the Father heart of God is that you would receive the greatest gift ever, Christ. Because he is the only way home. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter what boxes you tick. What matters is a revelation of the love of God in Christ Jesus. What matters is a, is a revelation that I am found in Christ alone. I'm found in Christ alone. And that revelation, whether it be from, you know, whether it be from the Pharisee, whether it be Saul who became Paul, who had to have that same revelation, or whether it be Matthew, the disciple who was a tax collector. You've got the Pharisee and you've got the tax collector and both of them become disciples of God. Why? Because they were found in Christ. And I'm just utterly convinced and this is why we do Ignite. Like, I just feel like God's put on my heart something and the church needs to wake up. The church needs to wake up. We need to take our stand. We need to recognize that religion is not enough. God is not pleased by our religion. God is not pleased by our good works. God is not pleased by the fact that we tie our shoes nicely and we come to church. That does not please God. What pleases God is when we fall on our knees before the feet of the Savior, which is Jesus, and we say, you are enough and I am yours. Because it's only there that we find salvation. And it's there that we find unity. It's there that our hearts are softened towards the sinner over here. It's there that our hearts, instead of having someone walk in these doors and we go, ooh, and we're offended by them, our hearts are so drawn like, oh, the lost is coming home. Because look at this. Let's read this. Look what the older brother does. 
You see, the father has embraced the son. The son who was the sinner is a long way off and he's completely lost and he turns and he runs and the father runs to him and kisses him and gives him the robe and is like, ah, this is awesome, let's have a party and it's so great and there's this celebration in heaven and celebration on earth. And then it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Notice he said, brother. The son never stopped being a son. When the son took the inheritance and forsook his father and said, I don't want any part of you anymore, I want my life, he never stopped being a son. And if you're someone who has wandered yourself or if you know someone who is wandering away, God God, the Father's heart is for them. It's for them. Don't forsake them. They're your brother and sister in Christ. He loves them. He's still called a brother. And so he says, your brother has been saved. And the older brother did what? He became angry. Because religious people are offended by grace. If you don't know me, I tend to say stuff, right? I just call that how I see it and how I believe God is saying it. But religious people are offended by grace, but grace is the greatest gift of all. It's not sexy. It's not a Rolex watch. It's not something that people look at and go, wow. It's not something that we're instantly drawn to because otherwise, look, it's offensive. It's offensive. It's foolishness to Greeks. You know, it's... It just seems so ridiculous, but it's so amazing. Philip Yancey wrote a book about it. What's so amazing about grace? John Knox wrote a song about it. Who was a he was a slave ship driver, and he's just like got this radical revelation of the heart of God, and he's like, oh, amazing grace! How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. But blind, but now I see. That's what grace does. That's the Father's heart, that whether we're a good person or a bad person, we would know that apart from Christ, we're nothing. But in Christ, we're sons and daughters. We're found. We're found. We're found in him. And so the question is, where is our heart? Because I think so many people in the church are just like the older brother. And here's what I find fascinating about what Jesus does. Look how it ends. Verse 31, he says, My son, the father said, you are always with me, talking to the the older brother, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then it finishes. This is Thanos clicking his fingers. And you just left going, what happens? What happened? Why did you finish there? What happens? What happens to the older brother? What does he do? Does he come in? Does he party? Look, we know that the, we know that the lost son, we know that the, the broken, busted one who's just embraced the grace of God because when you're in that place and you see Jesus, it's like, ah, this is amazing. We know that he's home and partying. But the older brother, we're left. He's just out here. He's just like, what is he going to do? Is he going to embrace grace? 
and walk into the party and celebrate with the hosts of heaven? Or is he going to maintain his pride and his indignation? And I think Jesus leaves it lingering for a reason because I think it's the same question that leaves, he leaves lingering for each and every one of us. What are we going to do with grace? How do we respond to such a saviour? Do we carry about our business as always, knowing that Jesus is there just spending more time posting pictures on Instagram than we do immersing ourselves in his word? Or do we see Jesus by the revelation of the spirit of God? Do we say, oh, And do we come and lay our lives at his feet and say, I'm yours? What are we going to do with grace? And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to have an opportunity just to respond. And the way we're going to firstly respond is here at this beautiful table we call communion. Because this table reminds us of everything he did. This table reminds us of grace. And sometimes it becomes so familiar. Sometimes we rock into church and we take the bread and we pop it down and then we scull the grape juice and then we just go straight back to thinking about whatever it was we were thinking about before. But this is a body. Imagine how offensive this meal would be if right here you actually saw a body broken. Imagine how offensive offensive this would be if you actually had blood in this cup. And what this meal is supposed to remind us of is the price that was paid for our freedom. The means by which both the sinner and the older son are found is right here at this table. Grace. It's grace. What do we do with it? What do we do with the broken body? What do we do with the cup poured out for us? How are we to respond? And so tonight, as we take this, and I'm going to invite Geordie, you can come up and do your thing. But as we take this, let this text encourage you to not just take it but sit with it and ask yourself that that question, what am I going to do with grace? How do I respond to the Father's heart as revealed in the Son? And just sit with that for a moment and have some you and Jesus time. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to have an opportunity to pray. And if you're someone who would like some encouragement in prayer, I love encouraging people in prayer. I just love it. If you would like some prayer, and we're going to have a, a prayer team. Yep, Ivy, great. Over here. We'll go, we'll go on that corner, not down here. Both. If you want prayer, find someone and pray with them. And we'd love just to encourage you. We'd love to just pray for that fresh revelation. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need what this son had, the first son, the eyes open. And maybe you're sitting here at this space right now and you need the same thing.
eyes open to the revelation of the fatherly, beautiful love of God as revealed in his son. So let's come, come to the table and take your time and give him thanks for what he's done and say, give me that revelation, whatever it is that you need because the greatest gift is not always what we want but it's always what we need. Come and embrace grace. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.